0: This is Power Athlete, Power Athlete Radio. Right,
1: With your hosts, Denny K, Professor Booty, and V, Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for Now Bombs.
2: tuning into Power Athlete Radio. The life of a college or professional strength coach is fraught with highs and lows. In an industry dependent on so many variables outside your control, it's a wonder why anyone would build a career on a team's wins and losses. But that's exactly what Aaron Alsmith successfully did at several universities. However, Aaron will tell you firsthand that you don't know coaching until you know why you're doing it. Hear how Aaron put together his own training and coaching philosophy that would eventually lead him to spearhead his own program. As Aaron states, the time when you learn the most is when you are in charge. Aaron is now part of the tight-knit crew of Sorenex, still coaching and being a resource for athletes looking for that guidance. This former thrower knows what it's like to coach oneself, and after all of his experience in athletics, he believes that mentoring is one of the greatest gifts a coach can provide. This is episode 163.
1: Our Athlete Nation, what is up? You got Luke, Tex, and John here in SoCal, and we have our neighbor on the line, Mr. Aaron Osmus, who's uh, out in Redondo Beach right now. Uh, he's dialing in. We're going to be chatting with him here on our Athlete Radio, the world's premier strength and conditioning podcast. Uh, so, Aaron, what's going on, man? Aaron works with Sorenx. That's how we got connected with him. He's got a, a pretty amazing journey from being a uh, national champion thrower to being an SNC coach. And now he's the man behind uh behind the scenes at Sorenex who's building out these amazing gyms that you probably see all over Instagram. So um, I guess, Aaron, if anyone hasn't heard about you, heard about Sorenex, t- be selfish, make a connection, tell your story. What's going on, man.
3: Let these people know what's up. You know, um, Sorenex, I mean, it's just, I got this uh, great opportunity about a year ago. It was August, uh, late August of, of last summer. And, Uh, me and Bert you know got to talking on the phone about I actually called him about training for the Highland Games kind of was trying to find a new hobby um, and uh, you know we started talking about Highland Games and next thing you know an hour later he called me back and it's like how would you like to work for Sornex? I think you fit in real well with our guys and our company and our um, our culture and uh, I actually was out of town traveling when he called and you know it kind of just hit me I got back to the hotel and really started thinking about it and uh got home and talked about it a little bit and it just seemed so, um, it seemed like a great fit. Um, I actually went down to, uh, the gym I was training at, which was like any, an anytime fitness. And I go in there to the, to the half rack that I squatted on for nine months straight. And I look down and there's a landmine from Sorenex in the floor of the rack with a big mustache on it. And it's never been there for nine months. And, uh, I knew right then that was the, that was like a sign, like it's time, you know, here, here we go. But, um, you know, just, uh, just the company and itself and and an ability to, to work with a group of guys and a small enough company that we can, we can really feel like a family and, uh, and do our thing and just, and just be able to really lean on each other as a team. Um, if you look at our team of guys with Bert and Dan McKim and, and, uh, you know, we got Alex Williams now in the Northeast, and, and Trey Zabita in, in Texas, and, and, of course, all the guys back in South Carolina. It's, uh, it's just a team of guys that, number one, just generally love lifting weights. Um, most of us have some form of maybe either a coaching background or a throwing background, definitely an athletic background. And uh, it's guys who love to lift weights, who love to um, build equipment uh, for people who like to lift weights. And uh, and strength training, and we try to be as as productive and um, in, you know innovative as possible to, to meet the needs. And it changes from you know air to air, coach to coach, facility to facility. So it's just a, you know an awesome company to work for. Um, just uh, great people, and I think a great product. So you talked a little
1: bit about how most of you guys have backgrounds in athletics or coaching. What specifically is yours?
3: Uh, my coaching background is, is strength conditioning. Um, I joined that, um, fall of 1998, um, really awesome, uh, circumstance opportunity. I was finishing my, uh, throwing career at the university of Tennessee. Um, I'd been a walk on there to basically a national champion and really built that through the weight room, um, was coached by, uh, Tommy Moffat who's now at LSU. He's been there about 16 years, which is an awesome tenure for a strength coach, as anyone knows. Uh, I think anything over five years, you're, you're setting records nowadays. So, um, been there a long time. He was my coach for four years. Really, really took me under his wing, and that's really where I started seeing like what a coach was. Um, so, I guess until I got to college, I didn't really have a coach in high school at all. I was coaching myself, and doing my own weight training, doing my own throwing, and um, probably learning a lot of bad habits because you're just self-teaching yourself. So going to college, you get a throws coach all of a sudden, and now all of a sudden you have a strength coach that's just basically programming you to tell you exactly what to do every day. And um, I think Moffitt really stood out because he was one of those coaches that just did so much more for me than just coach me in the weight room. There was just so much mentoring and so many things that he did, and it was – It was just, it gotten to the point to where I had a total faith in this guy. Um, Whatever he said to do, if he said, Aaron, stand on your head at night while you sleep and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it'll make you stronger for tomorrow. Sure enough, my roommate would have seen me doing that at night. I mean, it was just that total faith in someone and what he was trying to do for me. So um, as I finished the career, um, he'd actually left uh, the middle of my senior year to to go take his first head job at Miami. Uh, down down at the U with the Hurricanes, so I was pretty devastated. You know, I got right to my senior year. We come back from Christmas break. All the coaching turnover obviously happens in January. He's leaving, and I'm just I mean I'm devastated. Um, but the good thing was was Chris Carlisle came in to replace him. Uh, Chris is now at the Seahawks, who was with Pete Carroll all those years at USC. So uh, finish out my senior year and. Um, I remember I was training in the summer. Coach stuckey who was the head coach at the time, um, you know, came up to me and said, "Hey, I'm going for a meeting tomorrow. Uh, we want to add a third GA for the weight room, and we're only going to get it added if you'll accept the job." And right there, I was just going like, "Wait, you're offering me a job?" And he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "To do what?" He's like, "Work in the weight room." I'm like, "To do what?" He's like, "To coach." You know, I didn't know if he'd hire me to mop the floors or. You know or, or what but you know it was just one of those things where right there it was like that was the moment where i kind of was like why do you want to hire me to coach you know he's like he's like because all you're working here is you know it, it's it's been noticed and it's been uh warranted and the athletes have seen it and the other coaching staffs have seen it you, you'll develop as a coach just come be you just just be you and everything will take care of itself so that was that was the start. And, um, you know, our first fall, I was with the football team, and guess what? We won a national title. It was, it was like, wow, this is this is easy, you know? Like, you know, you, you join a staff in August. And in December, you're playing for the BC, BCS championship against Florida State in January, and you win. And I'm thinking, like, well, why does everybody think this coaching thing's a hard deal, you know? Yeah, there you go. It's, <laughs> just join up and win. This is easy. So. We're going there next year. We have another great year. We end up going to the Fiesta Bowl again to another BCS game. wasn't a national championship type year, but still another year. Um, and, you know, that's when Chris Carlyle got the opportunity to go to, to USC. Pete Carroll got hired in 2001. And uh, Coach Carlyle comes to me and said, you know, you just finished your GA. The timing's perfect. He's like, you know, I want you to be my top assistant out there with football he's like, let's go. So here I am. I'm like, well, where's USC? And he's like, it's in Los Angeles. You know, <laughs> I was such a country boy from East Tennessee, man. I, I just kind of knew SEC and where Texas was. And, you know, a lot of the West Coast and the Pac-10, I didn't know where these schools were you know, right. and things like that. I knew UCLA was in Los Angeles, you know, and things like that. But <laughs> so he offers me the job. And of course, it's an opportunity. It's my first hit job. And I leave East Tennessee for the first time in my whole life, and I go to Southern California, which was like, wow, you know. I'm going in and coaching these guys at SC, and these players are like, oh, my God, where are you from? Like, I've never heard an accent like this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, man, say that again. And so every time I would coach some cue, they'd be like, say that again. That's awesome. I'm like, man, you should go out with us one night. Like, the women around here would love you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, great opportunity. Um, you know, we got to build a program at USC. I think we went 6-6 six and six our first year. By the time we were done with our second year, we had Carson Palmer as a Heisman Trophy winner. We go 11-2, and two, win the Orange Bowl our third year. Matt Leinart takes over, wins the Heisman Trophy, and – or I'm sorry, wins it the next year. But that year, we share the national championship. So, within the first four and a half, five years, I had two rings from two different schools, two different conferences, but what I saw was the second time around, where I got to go start a program, and, and get in there and build an offseason, do a summer program, and, and let the winning start happening because of the work. Like the the ring and all that accomplishment on the second one was so much bigger for me, and I started understanding like this doesn't come real easy, and uh, this is very special. And that moment at Tennessee when we won one the first three months, I. I got a job there as a GA, like, I understood then how special that was because I wasn't around three, four, five, six years before that where the work was being put in with leadership and summer running and all that stuff that, that built that ability to win a national championship. So, you know, those, those are some awesome steps in, in strength conditioning. And, and by uh, after that year, I, I, I needed, I felt, to branch off and go be a head guy get head guy experience. So I went to uh, Idaho, 2004, uh, the Vandals. So now I've lived in Tennessee my whole life. I've been in Southern California for three, three and a half years. Now I go, you know, another another different culture, the Pacific Northwest, to Idaho, and learn real quick that it's cold there. And- uh, um, sir, Oh, who's who the head coach? Uh, Nick Holt. Nick Holt. Yeah. Nick Holt left USC. He was our linebacker coach. He got the job. So I went up there with him and, uh, you know, I just remember going in, I was staying in this little hotel and, and I knew the next day was like my first time leading a program. And I, I, I honestly did not sleep the whole night. I sit there and I was like, well, how, what's the fr-? And I'd never met the kids yet. Literally. I got in there Friday night, spent the weekend of like getting the format and the computer stuff done First thing Monday morning, like, I'm walking into the weight room. I got to introduce myself to the team. You know, I got to get with the staff and, and do things. And I just remember I was a nervous wreck. Like, like, I was just sitting there like, like this is my shot. You can't ruin your first shot to make an impression and be your first head guy. And, and uh, obviously that year was awesome for me because um, you learn so many things when you get to call the shots and you get to do the program and you get to make adjustments and you get to maybe try to start developing your staff and you get to... Go to team meetings and speak in front of the team all at once and and do motivational things. And those are things you you don't learn as an assistant strength coach. And those are things you have to just start doing. And uh, it's a great opportunity. And I learned probably the most about strength conditioning um, that year because just – trial and error and, and a lot of error and like oh my gosh what was I thinking and why do we have 18 guys on the injured list for hamstrings oh I know I know why because I was trying to do you know I was trying to take a program that we were in our fourth year at USC and I just brought it there and like yep hey, let's just spit it out right here where we left off at SC and these guys should just be take off with it you know boom you know we got to the summer and the trainers coming up to me like we got to talk, like, we got so many guys, like, but this with a strain, not, not major pull, but strain hamstrings, tight low backs, and this and that, and I'm sitting here, wow, you know, awesome learning experience, so it was a year there, short time, went to Ole Miss the next year uh, for three, three years, 05, 06, and 07, uh, Coach Ed Ogeron was the head coach, I go in there, and it's so great, because I walk in that night or that weekend is the same thing. Get in Friday night, start first thing Monday morning, and I remember I just went right to sleep Sunday night because I I'd, I'd had that stress and i had that year of experience behind me, wasn't worried about a thing, and it was just such a smoother first year uh, by going through all those trials and errors as my first year as a head guy at Idaho. So, really, you know, Ole Miss was an awesome time. Uh, we didn't win a lot of games, and we ended up getting fired. You know, we we uh, we were a three and nine, four and eight type t- team. But I tell you what, we were you know a field goal away, a play away, and the last thing in the fourth quarter and overtime away from actually having some good seasons. And it was just you know it was almost like if we just had that one game change and this and that. And of course, you're in the SEC. You don't have a big timeline. You you know you win you. You win, you get rewarded, you don't, you're out. And uh, you know, that was the first time I'd been fired. You know, so now I've been in the coaching career approximately about eight years, first time experiencing someone saying, Hey, you know, the the new football coach is coming in, he's probably gonna bring his new strength coach. More than likely you're gonna be out of a job. And of course that's what happened. And um, so that was a that was a that was a pretty neat that was a growing opportunity for me. Um, I got an opportunity to interview for a place and you know why I really didn't prepare well for it. I just thought things that I've done in the past that'll pave my way to that next job. And again, that was the biggest learning opportunity. I went through this interview, wasn't real prepared. I was smashing in the beginning and it got to some points where I got exposed and I came away feeling, uh, ah, not so good. Uh, you know, and I kept trying to. Maneuver and get the job by calling and staying active and ended up a couple weeks later, didn't get it. And I was pretty, by that time, the the carousel, as you say, the opportunity was kind of, it kind of come and gone. So I was facing, setting out a year possibly, or uh, maybe going at a lower level or high school strength coach, whatever. So for me, um, luckily protected by a coach's contract for, for about six months, um, I decided to to maybe wait this thing out and see what happens and uh, again that was the that was the growing opportunity and um, that's where it was um, an opportunity to start really doing a lot of self-reflecting of you know what could I done different or how could I address maybe a situation different maybe I can uh, communicate better with an athletic trainer whatever it was but I ended up Uh, Seeing a clinic over in Atlanta. So it was about a Probably a four or five hour drive over to Atlanta. So I grabbed my car. I go over to a clinic and they had a really good line of speakers and um, One of my good friends uh, Eric Siano who was at Georgia Tech. I stayed with him um, And he was actually speaking at the clinic also. So went over with him at the clinic I don't remember what it was to, to go paid paid the fee went in and you know, it's the first time you're seeing people where they interact with you. Going, hey man, like, uh, how you doing? Like, I mean, they knew you are fired, and they knew you're out of a job, and you know, they're like, hey, patting you on the back, hey man, something's gonna come around, been thinking about you, and let me know if I can help. And you, you know, it's the first time going through that type of situation. And but I remember, uh, you know, Joe Ken Big House was, he was presenting, and he was presenting on basically everything that was built around his athletic position. Um, and and teaching the athletic position, whether it's weight training or, or plyos or or anything. So, but one point of his presentation, he he kind of challenged the crowd, and it wasn't a huge crowd. It was probably 70, 80 coaches, and he challenged to about like, are, have you developed a philosophy, and if you have, like, what is it, and it, it, is it real? Like, is it on paper? Like, do you go to it at all times, and all these things, and you know. I just felt like Joe was just looking right in my freaking skull as he's talking to me, right in like you know chest and sternum, and I'm sitting here going, you know, you know what is my philosophy? You know what, you know what is it? And, and I think before that moment, I had kind of relied on a lot of success in my background that pushed me through this career so far. Like I said, your first year as a G.A., you win a national title, you go to SC, huge win, and, and you win. You know and and you know any program when you're winning people want everybody wants to know what you're doing like what are you guys doing to win so much you know and you can have a bad year the next year and people are don't want anything to do with you no one's emailing you asking about your program but it's the same program you were doing two years ago when you were winning a championship you know and uh it, it's funny how the, the you know the community you know the ups and downs it's it's so, finicky. so um, So Joe was talking to me and he hit me hard with this. And I'm sitting here and I I go away and I'm going back. I'm like, I got to build a philosophy. And, you know, I want to, I want this thing to really be um, something I can, that I can use from now on that I can go into a job interview and I can get a, get a job on how they're impressed with a philosophy that's going to work. So I went back and I drove home and it was about, again, a five hour drive back and um, got back and just started typing away on this little cheap laptop I had. And, uh, you know, I was talking, talking about explosive exercises and plyometrics and how I would teach speed and this and that. It ended up being like pages and pages and pages of typing. And, um, you know, for a while I'm like, wow, this is getting really lengthy Obviously had a lot of downtime to do it. I was, you know, not, not coaching, but, um, I was actually had read a book actually a couple times and was kind of rereading it. And it's called, uh, the four pillars of a man's heart by Stu Weber. And he talks about basically the book is built on, uh, fatherhood, manhood, those things, it, it being strong in four areas. And it's the king, the warrior, the mentor and the friend. And, um, uh, there was a great image in this book. And it showed an image of the four pillars and how it basically upheld a rooftop or a household. And it talks about those four pillars being in balance. Everything's going to go smooth. But if some one of those pillars you get too, maybe as a warrior, you get too brutish or you get too cowardly, that pillar is going to fall out of its lean. It's not going to stand tall. You're going to have issues in your, under your rooftop. So that image just really popped in my brain, and I said, or in my mind, and I was like, maybe I can build a philosophy somewhat similar to this image that's going to just take me. Um, it, it's not all this wording. It's not this lengthy pamphlet of my philosophy. It's an image. So I, I really took a lot of time, probably that whole year, and said, what you know, what do I want to build a co- I want to build a coaching philosophy. Not necessarily a strength wise i said i want to build a coaching philosophy so i started thinking like if i had to put four things as a coach to uphold a roof um how would i go about it so i started really kind of going back to my young age when Moffitt was coaching me and i said well i had so much faith in this guy and i talked about that because he did so much for me i had that faith that i'd do anything for him if he said stay up all night i would do it if he said you know eat a pizza for breakfast every day to get strong, I would do it. That was that faith I that was that I really thought was really strong. I said, "Well, let's start with that pillar. Like you have to, as a coach, to have faith in what you're doing if you want to get the athletes to have faith in you." Bottom line, there was my first pillar, faith. Next one was passion. I think anything you do in life, whether you're coaching or or, or selling, you know, collecting aluminum cans, whatever you're doing, you got to have passion for it. I mean, you got to show that you love it. And if your athletes see that you love what you do, that you love coaching, guess what you get in return? You're gonna get athletes that come in the weight room with passion and love to lift weights for you. So it's, it's really a two-way street and the philosophy I built. Third one was mentor, because again, I felt uh, Tommy was a great example of, of mentoring me, doing more than just coaching me in the weights, it was, it was nutrition, it was sleep, it was um, sometimes personal, whatever it was, Great mentor to me. Mentor ability is there all the time. You just got to take advantage of it with your athletes. And then uh, the last one was integrity. I felt that that's kind of your rules and policies as a strength coach or strength staff. And how you enforce them every day is the integrity of your program. Uh, a great example is whatever you teach your freshmen or whoever, what being on time is, then it's your integrity of your program to hold them to that standard the rest of the time. If you start leaning, that tower starts leaning because you start getting letting the guy off one time because he had this great excuse, the integrity of your program is going down and other athletes are going to see that. So it was those four things, built the philosophy, um, and I started taking that with me as just, that's, that's how I'm going to coach. And if I go to a job and I get, inherit a staff or I get to hire some guys, that's going to be our first team meeting our first staff meeting on let's be strong in these four areas and if so you know we're going to get these things from our athletes they're going to have faith in us they're going to come train with passion they're going to look to us as mentors and they're going to appreciate that we hold our 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 program with a high integrity so that was that was that 2008 huge growing growing year for me um went to north texas 2009 um, went in for an interview and it was a job. It was a group of coaches that didn't know me from Adam. And I went in there cold against, I think five other guys. Well, I was the fifth guy to interview and I got the job. I was the first guy to interview. And two days later, they called me and offered the job. Again, that year off reflecting and learning and building that philosophy. And I go in there on down an interview and I start talking about these things and their eyes are lighting up about, you know, passion and integrity and these things. And I really didn't talk much about power cleans. I didn't talk much about squatting. I just talked about coaching, and the guys were blown away.
1: Well, can you can you compare and contrast the two interviews you had between those two years? You know, like you had, like you said, you had this time to reflect. Like uh, the previous interview, you didn't get. Is that what you did? You spend talking about the tactical side of things, how yeah. as a technician, what you want to see out of a power clean things. Well, like it that? sounded
0: like the Jerry Maguire moment. That's kind of what I got. (laughs) Like, like you all of a sudden have this like you know epiphany, and he goes and he writes and he creates,
3: and Mm -hmm. then he creates manifest. There you go. Good good analogy. Uh, You know, the one I did went and didn't get. It's really like a blur to me right now. It's like I just know I left and I didn't feel good, and I really think that um, I did go in, and it was all about hey hey. Here's the triple extension, triple extension of a power clean showed the image. Here's the triple extension of a, of a guy as a DN coming out of his stance. Look, they're the same. We're going to get a guy fast. We're going to do this. And, you know, um, I think, again, it was all tactical, you know, and it just wasn't a much enough just uh, person and personality and, and 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 drive and passion and all those things that, that coaching staffs are looking for. And, uh, you know, it wasn't talking about mentoring kids. It wasn't talking about you know, uh, a staff having faith in what we what we're going to do, and in turn, the players are going to have faith in us because of that. I mean, those things had again, I hadn't, hadn't gone through that moment yet. So, um, don't you think though that, that kind of comes with it a little bit, like
0: uh, having been? You know, I always look at like kind of you know, like the head guy kind of being a leader in a lot of ways. And you know, like any CEO or any leader, really, your job is to provide vision and culture for those that you're leading. Right. So, I mean, as kind of a, you know, hey, I banged weights as a, you know, uh, as an athlete, and then I kind of got into this kind of assistant GA role. You're more the implementer. Yep. You know, you're obsessed with, like, the nuts and the bolts and the athletes and this, and the, you know, the head guy's kind of out there trying to just, you know, paint the broad strokes so that you can go fill in the fine details. And then all of a sudden you get into a situation where, you know, you just, Mm -hmm. you know, seem to hit it big. I mean, pretty amazing. Then you get into this situation where you're like, wait a minute, uh, my resume doesn't matter. I You know, this is all the stuff I know. Exactly. Uh, you know, like we said, you had that Jerry Maguire moment. You take a step back and you realize, um, you know, being a, you know, whether it's a, a CEO or a college strength coach or even a professional, you know, whatever it is. I mean, when you're sitting at the top and you have to lead people, I mean, the biggest thing you have to do is create not only a vision and the culture, but also uh, something that people can believe in. And uh, as a strength coach, it's so fundamental. I mean, you as a strength coach deal more with the athletes than the position coaches ever do. Right. You know, and that was something that always amazed me that, uh, um, and we always tell jokes about it, like the first guy to get done, uh, chopped is the strength coach. You know, yeah. if the head coach is going to lose his job. They fire the strength coach, yeah. and it's like, oh, you know, he wasn't doing a good job building culture, or this. And I'm th- I always think I'm like, what a fucking cop out that, yeah. that, that a head football coach will fire a strength coach because for not building the culture, as if it's his job. But a lot of times it is, yeah, because of the amount of time. And then you know, and, and you know, I mean, dude, you're a, um, you know, uh, an honest, ethical, actually, you know want the kids to do better whereas yeah. you know you get into situations where people self-serving are like, yeah self-serving where people are there to add their own resume or let me show you how great i am and it's uh it's pretty apparent when you meet strength coaches you know where they kind of fit into that are they there for the kids are they there because this is their passion or are they yeah. just get for their own fucking ego
1: yeah um the story, the story kind of reminds me of like uh when we first started you know myself and ben and text like leading these seminars and you and Roth would just be like Stop being these autistic parrots where yeah. we're, we're telling you the information, but there's a clear understanding that you don't under, you know, well, uh, or there's a clear lack of understanding,
0: right? You know, uh, teaching the seminars and, like, for what we do is really interesting because, um, you know, I retired from the NFL, and then next thing you know, I'm up, like, teaching people about, you know, strength and conditioning mm-hmm. and what I did to a bunch of people that had no background for it. Right. And I'm, you know, talking about these complex, uh, you know, situations, this for people that had no foundation of strength conditioning. And it was, for the first couple of years, was really, really difficult until we realized that uh, it wasn't necessarily what I was saying. It was how I was saying it and what message I was able to convey to people. And more importantly, they weren't necessarily buying into what I was saying. They were buying into me, which is what it is. Yeah, sell yourself,
1: right? And you have to believe, like, all those pillars that Aaron's talking about. Like, if you can embody that with the information, then you're going to be... Well, deliver a more authentic message. Well,
0: as an athlete, and, and dude, Aaron, Aaron made a great point talking about Tommy, excuse me, Tommy Moffat. He didn't care. He didn't care what Tommy Moffat said. He was going to do whatever Tommy Moffat told him. Mm-hmm. I was in the same boat. Uh, my job as an athlete was to do exactly what you tell me to do. I'm not, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be there in a free thinker and be like, oh no, we're going to do triphasic. Or Why? So, so what you're saying is I'm not going to do heavy eccentrics. You're like, I don't give a shit. Just tell me what to do and then I got to get to class. Like, yeah. And I think like, <laughs> As a, as an athlete, if you believe in your strength coach and the person there, like is uh, has not only created vision and culture, but actually you put trust in. You know you are you're like a blank canvas. So you're like, paint me. Mm-hmm. You know the problem becomes is when all of a sudden, as a strength coach, the kids sense you to be disingenuous, or they all of a sudden like see you as like not the good guy. You're not going to help them. And dude, I've seen that within in uh, within programs where all of a sudden the tide turns on a coach because he either doesn't he betrays the trust or doesn't say what he's going to do, and then kids lose faith, and then shit. Next thing you know, I watched it happen at a couple different programs, and um, you know, that was really a learning deal for me. Whereas, like, if you're authentic and you were and you're legitimately there to help people get better, yeah, fucking kids will walk over hot coals sure. for you, yeah, everybody will, like, so that, like, like, if you know that I'm there as well, you know, I like, fuck, dude, like, you know, it's it, it's so weird, like, uh, um, uh, people get and dude, I, I love what you said, and that people get so wrapped up. In, like, the numbers and the percentages and this, and wait a minute, should I super? Yeah. you like, oh, oh, oh,
4: but take a step back, like,
0: you know, and it, it it's, yeah. It's, it's what we deal with on the, it, on daily, oh, yeah. Daily, yeah.
4: the text. So, uh, Aaron, I heard you speak at, at SummerStrong, and I wrote down yeah. a few quotes, and this one ties in perfect with this. And you said, lay it on the line, challenge your own philosophy. Yeah. And so I, I wrote that down because so many people get lost in just the technical jargon, so on and so forth, and done a number of interviews, and that was not a part of it. So I wrote that quote down and this, this part of our, our podcast is speaking directly to that. Is you believe in your philosophy so much you're you're going to step up to the plate against anybody that challenged you and then the athletes see that.
3: Right. Yeah, I mean I think I think when you build a philosophy, you know, there's gonna come a time where it gets tested. And you know, that was you know, building that one in 08, having a time off to reflect, you know, like you guys talked the Jerry Maguire moment, it was never really thought about it like that that's kind of a good way but uh I'm gonna use that from now on but uh um it's uh you know that that was that was great and I get to go you know I was so excited in 09 to go coach again and I go to I go to North Texas and and I actually had an assistant that I was just finalizing kind of the image and we're finishing it up uh and this guy again was a tech savvy guy so he actually helped me build it into like a cool format and and this and that. And, 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 I started sharing like with that staff, this philosophy, how we're just, we're going to go attack the day, be strong in these four areas. Like, like what, what's on this piece of paper now was not real important. Like they said, sets, percent, sets, reps, percentages, intensities, volumes, and all those things. It's like, let's go be great in these four areas. And that's all we care about. And, and, you know, fortunately, six months later, Tennessee calls uh, they were getting rid of a strength coach, and and uh, they're hiring me or offering me the job. And, and I was just so excited to be at North Texas. And I was coaching for them. I was, like, was in this my sixth month, and, and working with these athletes. And I'm seeing how much more of an impact I had and a staff had because we were. I mean, we were driving this philosophy every day, and these players are just buying in at a whole new level that I'd ever seen um, anywhere else or any my in my past. And here I go, and now I have to go to this, this group on a Friday and go, hey, guys, I just accepted a job at Tennessee. And you just see their heads, just like or their eyes, just like, I mean, like you're leaving? Like, oh, I mean, come on now. And it was hard, but here for me, I'm going back to the place I started. I'm going back home. I'm going back to my alma mater. I'm going back to the weight room that I got my start in as the director. And... I remember walking in to my office, it was Father's Day weekend, and not only did I go back to Tennessee, I went up to my parents' house on Father's Day weekend and had lunch with them and had time with my dad, and I'd been gone all those years, you know, living far away, and, and I just remember going into Tennessee on Monday and dropping my backpack or my, my bag and just, like, dropping down my knees, like, almost like a tearful moment, like, dude, I have went around the country, and I'm back, like, I'm home. Like, this is it. Like, this is my dream job. If I could coach and be a director anywhere, it's right here. I mean, I was so blessed, and I couldn't wait to have the staff meeting with staff to bring these four pillars and talk about this is how we're going to do it. And uh, we had – you know, we were rolling. We had a uh, quick summer because I got there, like I said, third, fourth week in, the, in June. We only had like four or five weeks to get ready for camp. I didn't have time to even talk about a, uh, a, a teaching yet because we, we had to get ready for camp. We just – program today and coached it hard and 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 went into the season we had a pretty good season went to a bowl game and then coach kiffin decides to go to usc and uh which was his dream job you know and uh all of a sudden you know he calls me like hey you know obviously i just hired you at tennessee i want you to come to to usc and i'm just going man like i just got home i just got home
0: you know, Dude. that's how you, uh, you tell him. I mean, did did you go or did you actually uh, stay?
3: Well, I mean, I uh, I was like, I'm gonna see what happens here. They hired in like, they hired Coach Kiffin's replacement in literally like almost 48 hours. Yeah. Uh, with Derek Dooley. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I gotta fill this guy out. Like, if I got a chance to stay, I'm I mean, I'm gonna work this guy. I mean, I'm going up. I'm like, Coach, can when can I meet with you? When can I meet with you? He's like, oh, and just. He's like, hey, just start the off season. I know it's supposed to start tomorrow. We'll meet. We'll meet like two weeks later. Um, it's been almost two weeks, and then Lane kind of officially offers me the job about that time. And I, you know, I go to the coach Dooley, and I'm like, Coach, I need to know what's going on because like I gotta make. They're offering me the job, and I gotta, I gotta give him an answer. And the guy goes, Well, you should go because I'm gonna bring a different guy in for football. So I'm like, Dang it, you know. Yeah. I was like, dang, you know, I was hoping he would say, hey, I'm going to roll with you, man. Let's sign you a new contract and go. So here I was, you know, now going back to USC from Tennessee again, you know, and it's just like, wow. But I was also excited because it is USC. I knew what it was about. I knew I knew this time what I was getting into. I knew where I was moving. Um I mean there's the beach and there's now the tradition and the nine years Pete Carroll was there was probably the best nine years of football if you look back yeah, oh, yeah. and now we're going into a program that's very established well, and
0: Kippen, not so much
3: right I, I, yeah. right I mean, oof. so um you know we go to SC and and, and I inherit actually one of the guys I inherited I'd actually worked with him at Idaho so that was like great familiar staff um, got the opportunity to hire my kind of my first assistant right away because uh, Chris's first assistant went to Seattle with him so I had an opening I hired Tim Karen from Georgia Tech and um, we started rolling and we we, we first thing again staff, we sat down and talked about these four pillars and how we want to coach and uh, you know we, we spent four years there uh, uh, it was an up and down four years we had a couple really good seasons and a couple average seasons and um, you know, after the 2013 year, uh, you know, Lane gets fired. I think after the fifth game, Coach O takes over. Kind of rallies the troops. We end up finishing uh, six and two. The last eight games, we I think we end up going ten and three for the season. And um, you know, and we're still all out of jobs. You know, and that was to me that was the really pivotal point for me. Uh, like going, what kind of profession is this? Is when you just finish ten and three, and you're looking for a job. Mm-hmm. I accepted what happened at Ole Miss when we were more like three and nine and four and eight. We didn't win enough. We get fired. I understand. And, and this one was this one was tough. And uh, you know, I I purposely called two or three friends of mine that had finished ten with ten wins, and I said, Hey, you guys just had ten wins. What happened? He goes, I just got a new contract and a raise called my other guy. What happened? You just had 10 wins. And I just got a new contract in a raise. I'm like, I just got freaking fired, dude. And I'm just, you know, that was that moment. So it's like, you know, what, what's going on here? So um, that was, you know, I had an interview with um, right away, uh, probably two months after or two weeks after the bowl game. And I go there and I didn't even prepare for the interview at all, but I, what I'd done with that philosophy was so inbred in me, I went in there and just rolled it off the top of my head. And the guys like, I, I want to hire you right now. You know, like, got the job. But the opportunity for me was it was more of a it was a family decision. Um, I actually at SC gone through a divorce, uh, two boys, and um, you know probably at that pinnacle of your career, you're at a place like SC. You know, we've just talked about all those moves. Now we're talking about how that's made an impact on your family. Um, i put the blinders on all those years, chase the next job, chase the next better conference, better school, and put so much stock in my career that, you know, lost family. And it was one of those deals where you're going, now what? You know, I've worked so hard to get here, and now my family's breaking up you know, and um, I've got two great boys and, and um, I'm actually remarried now got remarried to about a year and a half after I was divorced. And, um, you know, it was it was one of those moments where I got this job offer, and I had to make a big decision. And uh, I had um, basically if I wanted to continue coaching that I'm going to have to move away from my kids and see my kids, you know, not like I do now which was, you know, summer times, holidays, weekend here, weekend there, you know, around, around my, around my career or my work schedule. And I just didn't want to do that to, to, uh, to them. So I had a whole year um, contract pay from SC. I was contracted for a whole nother year. So I knew I didn't have to take that job. You know, I knew I had financial stability for 12 more months, And that was another one of those years of reflection of, you know, what am I going to do? Like, how can I make this work? You know, and I started calling those mentors, those Tommy Moffitts and those people again. And, you know, and they're just all like saying, Hey, you know, relax. You got some pay for a while, you know, do some soul searching, go see some clinics, go see some people, learn some stuff. Hey, Aaron, you live by the beach, go enjoy yourself. You've worked your ass off for 16 years, probably 30 out of 50 weekends, a year or 52 weekends a year, you've probably worked doing something like go enjoy your life a little bit. And at the time I was, um, I was dating my wife now and we were spending some time together and she was, we were kind of dating long distance um, for a while. And it was just that, that year where now that philosophy, that faith, that mentor, that passion, that integrity, like it's getting tested again, but on a level with myself, Uh, not with my athletes and you know, it was, it was, it was a unique opportunity, you know, and, um, five, I think, um, about a month into my doing nothing, I, uh, I accepted my first job and it was, um, it was with the Padres, but it wasn't the San Diego Padres. It was the Redondo beach Padres, uh, little league, my kids team. Uh, stepped up and coached their little league team, and uh, right away, I said, hey, how am I going to coach these little kids? I'm like, boom, I'm going to go back to my philosophy. You know, these kids are going to see a coach that, that believes in them, the faith. I'm going I'm to have a lot of energy at practice. I'm going to coach them with passion, and I'm going to do it with integrity. We're going to have our little rules, and we're going to hold them accountable to it, and, and I'm going to mentor these little kids. And, and I had a ball. You know, my both of my kids are on the team because they're they only like 18 months apart. And I got to coach these kids and I got relationships with these parents and, and, and it was awesome. And then it wasn't much longer. I was coaching assistant coach of a basketball team. And then two falls later or last fall, I was the, the head coach of their BCS um, flag football team. And, you know, I'm, I'm still coaching just in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the biggest question for me is after spending 16 years uh, as a strength coach is, you know, my biggest question when I go to conferences and I'm working for Storenex now is they're like, hey, hey, you know, they'll pull me aside. Like, hey, man, I ain't trying to get in your business. But like, you know, when are you going to get back in it, you know, and I'm just like my, my answer to everybody's like I've never left. I'm, I'm still coaching. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just don't have a whistle and a title as a D1 program anymore. You know, this, right, this is this is my school now. Right. You know, I'm coaching for Sorenax that I'm, I'm a, I'm a resource for Sorenax. I mentor, I got right now, I've got three phone calls this afternoon to talk to strength coaches that are at the division one level to talk about their training, uh, help them set up a fall schedule. I'm coaching coaches now versus coaching 18 to 21 year olds. Right. Um, I have an Instagram account with it. It's called pen and paper strength app. And it, it was something that it just out of something that was really funny and a joke. It ended up being really cool. And, and, and I'm having, a am having a ball with this thing and I'm taking writing programs. I'm writing quotes. I'm writing motivational tactics. I'm writing common sense, common sense stuff down basically on a piece of paper and uh, publishing that through Instagram. And I'm, most of my followers are coaches of some form we also have
0: wonderful penmanship
3: yeah that's what everyone says yeah, it's it's actually i'm
0: surprised i uh, i thought that you were probably had somebody i don't know like, you know, like, like, and then like well
3: no no i
0: figured he was like scratching it yeah like like his wife he's like god you got great hey, penmanship hey, hey i need you to write this you get yeah
3: so you know it's an opportunity for me uh i mean i put a lot of my philosophy stuff i i mean i put I put things out there that I'm sharing that people call me when they talk and I can't believe you're giving that out. And I'm like, why wouldn't I? If you're a coach and you and you really believe in coaching, then you believe in sharing. You believe in helping. You believe in mentoring. So, you know, when these thoughts and these things, I just flipped through some of my old staff meetings. I flipped through some of my old journals that I had while I was coaching. I mean, I've got stuff from back in 2004, 2005 and stuff that are very pertinent that people still need to hear today and and i love it because i'll put something out and someone's like oh my gosh i needed to hear that you know like thank you i need to be told that like that's you know i used to believe that i need to be reminded of that again and it's and that's what i like is is as i'm continuing to coach i'm doing it a different way uh you know and i'm con- continuing to be a mentor just doing it now to some different type of audiences um, I, my passions for lifting is at as an all time high. I mean, I'm blowing through some 40 year old PRs right now that I've never hit in my life. My PRs now and my weights are approaching to what I was hitting when I was in my early 30s. Wow. So, um, and it's and it's literally because my passion, I'm you know my passion to get stronger is there, my attitude's there. Um, again, the mentoring there to help other people. Uh, integrity is that I'm, I'm who I'm always am. I'm, you know, integrity now is on me and this company. I'm working for Sornex, doing things the right way, treating people the right way at all times. Um, you know, so it's, it's just the philosophy I've got, I'm testing in different ways and I'm seeing that it's, that it's holding true. So you've put a, you've told us all about the value you have in reflection.
4: And as a coach, there's not a lot of opportunity to reflect. You're putting 12 hour days in. So kind of looking back on your busy days and your career, where can current
3: coaches find time to reflect? I think you have to make it time. You have to, and that's where I felt so guilty and probably didn't go, do a good job. And, and knowing you have assistants that you've hired, and uh, now you have to give them opportunities. I mean, there, there's times, I hate to say it, but there's times in the summer program where you should probably take a Friday off and have a three-day weekend and let your assistants run it that day. And, but uh, back then, I would have never even thought to do that. It, w- it wouldn't enter my mind. If we were training our athletes, like, I had to be there. Uh, I mean, it, I had to be there. And I think now coaches, if they could hear anything, is, is you have to – uh, you just have to make time, because yeah, it's never going to be there for you. It's it's not going to just pop up. You're going to have to alleviate yourself from that weight room for a day, uh, Make give yourself a long weekend, go do something with your wife, or take your kids on some trip, whatever it is, or yourself, go camping and fishing, if you're, if you're single, or whatever you're doing. And just, you got to start finding that time, because you just get so caught in the rat race that next thing you know, like I said, 10, 12 years goes by, and you realize that you know, you've been really good and they're really focused in one area and other places have suffered.
4: Yeah, a good lesson I've learned is you can learn a lot from observation. So working for one of John's old guys that's called anthropology. Anthropology? Well Yeah, that's the science of observation.
1: I don't follow.
0: <laughs> well hey, I have this philosophy.
1: No, no,
4: no. it's anyway, called anthropology. It was You're a an lesson learned. It's not my philosophy, it was a lesson learned. But uh, <laughs> so Raph would just not show up on Friday mornings and I, I do not show up on quotes is that he would lead the program in charge of the assistants, and he would just kind of be in the shadows just observing literally, how we literally the shadows. how we would lead, how would we would run and uh kind of implement the different movements, his program, so on and so forth. And then he would just walk in an hour and a half later and just hammer us for screwing up. So that was kind of his his yeah. reflection time was just you know, making us feel better. Sneak attack. Well,
3: you, you, I mean, I think you, you hire these assistants, you hire an intern and stuff, you have to give them those opportunities. And uh, I think later in our career, we used to bring in a, um, a walk on group in the summertime and we let the three interns totally implement the program, the warm up, the lifting. And we coached the interns and observed. And we'd pick a guy at the end of the program, we'd bring him in and go, hey, you know, and my biggest pet peeve, pet peeve, and I think a lot of young guys do it, is like they say things three times. They'll be like, "Okay, on your back, on your back, on your back," and, and I'm catching this, and they're like, "Okay, right side, on your right side, on your right side," and I'm noticing the athletes don't respond and move till the third time, you know, and uh, I'm bringing them in. I'm like, "Hey, you know, you're wasting so much of your voice." He's like, "What do you mean, I'm like?" Well, you, you say everything three times. And he's like, yeah, I wanna get the point across. I'm like, well, you have to find a way to get your point across by saying it one time. And he's like, well, hey, do you do that? I'm like, that's up to you how you wanna do that. And If you just wanna say, hey, I'm gonna say this one time. If you guys don't start moving when I say it one time, we're gonna do a punishment or something. But you gotta get the point across that you just need to say it once. And he's like, oh man. I'm like, you're, you're gonna be so worn out by coaching one group. And you got three or four more groups the rest today. So think about at the end of the day you've coached three to four times more than you really needed to. And he's like, Oh my gosh, that makes sense. So just working with those young coaches and and just being that observant person to help them was huge. But for me, I didn't let that control go enough till so late in career and I wish I would have done it so much earlier.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I guess you go into that. There's kind of the deep meaning and just the superficial. That's one thing we talk about at our seminar and developing coaches is like, well, superficially, don't fucking say it three times because you got to do this six more times. It's a lot of times. But right. you also need to build or empower that coach to build the presence and the, the character where they can command that presence with one
4: fucking sentence, right? And, and you, you said it interesting. That's up to you. You said that to that coach and that you gave him the direction and then you left it open to interpretation for him to find his voice instead of just giving him steps A, B, and C for doing that. So, I mean, in my opinion, that's the sign of a good coach, Right. which is lost, I guess, in a lot of our our traveling seminars that we do. People just don't understand that they want to be spoon fed the answers, Right. give you direction, but then figure it out. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That's um, there's no doubt. I mean, there's, that's when I talked about that integrity pillar. I have coaches who are like, what's, what was your rules and policies in your weight room? I'm like, well, here's what's ours, but what are yours? You know, like your integrity is enforced yours. If, if, if I believe a, a, a legitimate back squat is top of the thigh parallel, well, that's my program. Maybe yours is bottom of the thigh. Maybe yours is almost parallel. That In your program, that's that's what you consider a good squat. I like, you know, that's what you have to come up with. You know, you got to, uh, your dress code is what your dress code is. Mine is what mine. Mine was always, hey, shoes and socks, shoes got to be tied. You're wearing the work, uh, the training gear, the, you know, the football SC on it. It's the gray shirt, it's the black pants. That's what we train in. When we start on time, what we did is we had a digital clock in the weight room. When the clock hit 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. or 10, we all started clapping our hands. The kids were so programmed, they all watched the clock. They all sit there with their eyes like this. It hits six o'clock. Boom. Everybody's clapping their hands. If you entered the room and those hands have clapped, you're officially late. You know, if we started clapping our hands and your shoes are not tied, we consider you not being ready, so you're late. So we said not only are you on time, but you're ready. So shoes tied, dressed right, you know, all those things, uh, ready to go. So, I mean, th- that was that was our rules and policies. And I've always talked to coaches, like, you have to – Develop what's important for your program and your weight room and your rules, and then enforce them. So you, you've had some studs. So you had Parm, you had two Heisman
4: Trophy winners. So did you treat them any differently? So no. I know some yeah, some programs they cater to those quarterbacks. So how did you approach those guys who knew they
3: were legit? You know, I think I've always observed people of of coaching. I think that probably if, well, if I go down in my grave. I think that if anybody says probably about me was I probably gave the walk-ons as much love because I was a walk-on. I gave them as much love as I did Carson Palmer. I gave them as much love as I did Reggie Bush or Patrick Willis when I was at Ole Miss. I had a love for those guys and to me, you know, I always thought the best thing for me was to coach the group and, you know, try not to Um, single people out, any person out on, you know, shine away from coaching them hard, just coach the group hard. And what you find is those high level guys kind of appreciate that, 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 that you're not, you know, trying to make exceptions for them or, Hey, how are your legs today? You know, are you tired? Let's, let's do the safety bar squat versus the front squat with you today. You know, they, a lot of times they kind of get embarrassed when you kind of cater to them. So I never really, you know, uh, try to do that in front of the groups. Now, if I saw a guy in the hallway earlier in the morning and I see the guy and I say, man, how you feel? And he's like, dude, my back is blown up. Practice crushed me last night. I was like, well, go check the trainer. I'll check in with you later. And I know that ahead of time. I've already got a plan for this guy. This guy can come in. He can go through the warm up. I might have an intern or one of my assistants that already knows his plan. So we're going to adjust. Maybe he doesn't front squat, but we have an alternate plan for him. But it's already been so far addressed ahead of time that it doesn't look like in the front of the group that I'm coming up and, and catering to him then. I, I found out his stuff prior to um, that morning or that, or sometime even the night before to have a plan for this guy. So I, I think those are tactics that you kind of learn as you go to put yourself in a, in a situation in front of your athletes. Um, you make a great point about treating everybody the same. I mean, that's
0: really, I think, uh, especially when you look at like NFL teams um that's i think really pisses people off i mean you got uh rg3 getting picked up and dan schneider's jet and other guys (laughs) are having like you know fucking uber it yeah like it's so um you know that type of attitude where you know they treat people different i mean that's the really really crazy some uh, interesting dissension especially on college teams too where you know guys like hey man i'm living on my 740 i mean i remember uh the guys from Florida State, all like the the way that they play their players at Florida State is the coaches didn't pay them. The the guys in the NFL would play their players. So like if you went to the NFL, it was your responsibility to come back and then you would pay all those guys. Oh wow! And that's how they, all those dudes. So I mean, like Corey uh, what was it um, uh, Corey Simon who played at Florida State? He had a Range Rover in college and he was yeah. living in his apartment. <laughs> and he he's talking about it. I was like, what the fuck? Is that? I was living on seven forty a month. We were like so far below the poverty line, like. It was crazy. He's like, oh, well, so and so, you know, loaned me a bunch of money, and, was gonna, was gonna, and just got in the league, and and you know, on the stipulation that one, you know, I pay it forward and pay somebody else, and that's how those guys all got paid. And when all the four state guys asked, I'm like, oh yeah, that's how we got it. But I mean, like that type of stuff. And I was like, but it was just you guys. It was like, oh yeah, it was only the NFL guys. I'm like, how did the other people treat me? You got other guys living below the poverty line. He's like, oh, you know, well, it causes a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And I, I always think that, like, you know, especially in that environment where everybody's working, everybody's kind of slaving it. That if um you know there isn't some form of you know equal kind of treatment of everybody and you got a strength coach. I mean, because I remember seeing that stuff. I mean, you know, so and so this, and you're like, dude, just treat everybody the same. It's
1: so much easier. Do you think uh do you think there like um is there latitude for that on the field versus in the weight room? Like in the weight room, <sighs> everyone's a fucking grunt, get to it, everybody needs to work, earn their keep. So, but man. then on the field, if you're like, if, hey, if you're if you sweetness, then you're sweetness. If it's you allow somebody to be a primadon, yeah that's
0: mm-hmm. the thing I've learned uh professional sports college sports everything if you cater to some kid and tell him he's better or treat him different and like give him the illusion that he's somehow different he will take that shit and run with it and become a prima donna I will be- expect believe. it yeah, yeah they'll expect it like any type of prima donna that you've ever seen like on any team is 100% fostered by the people that are leading that team
3: mm-hmm. yeah
0: and, and that shit drives me absolutely crazy and I, I, mean, I used to call shit out all the time. I'm like, what the fuck are you catering to this kid? Mm-hmm. Fuck him. You know what? Like, and, and you know what? And like, that was part of my deal is. Um,
1: well, I guess, do you think it could be earned versus provided? Never.
0: Though? I'm just curious. No, I, I and, and the, I, I watched, and uh... the best is I never, like, like, if I ever saw that shit in all my NFL career, if I ever saw them ever catering to anybody, I would call that motherfucker out and be like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't expect any preferential treatment. I don't expect you to do anything for me. Other than what you're doing for other people, and uh, and if I ever saw that shit, and trainers do it, strength coaches do it, coaches do it, because you know here, especially in the NFL, you got a guy who's making hundred grand a year with a guy that's making ten million, and I'm like, you know, I mean, unless he's fucking Peyton Manning, who you know is older that's than dirt right. and that's broken, right. but but you also got to remember he's so old that they probably were like, yeah, we don't want you to lift. Weights. Slow down, slow yeah. down, slow <laughs> down. Yeah. <laughs> how do they carry you into the facility, right? Like, that type of stuff where he's just so old that you're like, he probably needs to get catered. Like, there's probably some guy holding his dick when he passes. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like, you watch a lot of young guys come in that are big-time draft picks, and they, like, all of a sudden – and I remember there was a kid we had uh, to the Eagles, and I can't remember his name for the life of me, and that's how good he was. He was a first draft pick. He came in. He, came, he got a high ankle sprain in in in, uh, in training camp. He literally took the entire year to rehab from a high ankle sprain. I know dudes that got high ankle sprains and played, you know, a couple weeks later with the pain, and this kid took 16 weeks to recover. Sure. Because, you know, he was their first-round draft pick. The trainers didn't want to push him, and instantly what happened? All the players thought he was a malinger, and then as soon as that shit happened, the coaches (laughs) thought he was a malinger, and all of a sudden it poisoned the water, and that kid was out of there. All he had to do was prove that he was a fucking – I mean, that's – but that's the the mentality of
4: this. Aaron, did you have any situation in which the coaches, the sport coaches, would kind of spoil or cater – and then athletes come to you, and they don't get that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think in any sport I've dealt with, tennis, track and field, football, basketball, um, you know, I, I think when you have a department like the strength department, if you and your staff do a good job, like you said, of your, your rules and policies, you you, you see the athletes who become chameleons, you know. And they know, like, in this department, if, like, I can't get away with crap. I have to be on time. I have to wear the correct gear. I have to have my shoes tied. Like they're not going to put up with it. And we've established that. And they know that they're going to come in and you know what? They're going to conform. And I used to always, you know, even with like academic counseling upstairs, you know, you get the report and this kid's constantly late to his tutor. And I would talk to the, bring him into my office. I'm like, wait a minute, look, look at this report. And he'd be like, you know, coach, it was two minutes. Coach, it was a minute. Coach, man, they trip tripping. I swear, it was like, I was like, like 30 seconds. I was I was like, yeah, but you're never like that in here. Like, time is time. You is, you know, is your clock for that department in your mind different than this one? Well, I'm like, it is. Like, why? You know, do you go to position meetings? Like, no. Do you come to the weight room? Like, no. Do you ever go over to your treatments to get something? Well, yeah. Okay, so what? you know,
0: Line steppers, they're yeah. like this is like having kids, and you're a father, dude. You know yeah. this. I deal with little line steppers all day. Yep. Yeah. And uh, uh, I got some really good parenting advice from um, uh, a Mormon doctor buddy of mine that I think he has like 25 kids. He's like, fight the little battles early, so you don't have to fight the or or fight the little battles early, so you don't have to fight the big fights later. Yeah. And I and I, I like he said it to me, and I, I didn't really realize. And and then as I'm having kids. Uh, my mom's always like, well, why are you so late?" And I'm like, because I don't need to deal with this bullshit. I'd rather deal with this bullshit when they're four years old opposed yeah. to 14 yeah. years they old. They start getting
3: intelligent. You're like, well,
1: go to your room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like,
3: uh, yeah my, my oldest is 10 years old, and, you know, I can already see, like, like this dude, like, the stuff he's, like, you know, rolling his eyes about and this and that. I'm just like, oh, man, you know. No, that, that,
0: <laughs> I, I got to think to this day, if I rolled my eyes at my mom, my mom would fucking flip the shit. I mean, yeah. it's like that type of mentality where like there is, uh, you know, and my wife and I made a, a pretty interesting and dude, I'm sure you did the same thing. We made this pack where it's a united front. Like there is no mommy says this and all this. And so even if something's there, you got to back the other one. And if it doesn't happen, I'm like, you're in trouble. Go to your room too. And all yeah. My wife uh, <laughs> yeah. But like that type of stuff, I mean, and it's the same type of deal. I and mean, like kids will get away with what you let them get away with. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I knew in college, like, uh, for me, um, you know, I, I'm probably a lot like you. I mean, I, I had a scholarship, but I wasn't expecting to go play in the NFL when I went to college. I literally just right. like, I lucked out. I got to go to Berkeley and get a degree. So for me, school was super important because I realized the only thing I was leaving that place with, with was a degree. Yeah, and that was what was most important to me. And so I, I put in all the work there, and it just so happened I got the opportunity to go play in the NFL, which I never even expected. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys that show up, and they're like, "Oh man, I'm." I remember there was a dude that showed up in my rookie class in college that had an NFL tattoo in his arm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I swear to God. So what's
1: worse, tribal armband,
3: a la NFL, this little
0: guy. He fucking he he quit school and transferred to another school because he got beat out. Because he and his whole reasoning was, "I have NFL tattooed on my arm. I have to go somewhere that's gonna. I, I'm not going to get to the NFL as a backup." and he left to go to some, like, fucking small division school to try to get a chance to play in the NFL. That's my guy. That's how crack-pop this dude was. And I remember looking at the guy and being like, I would just get a cover-up because you suck <laughs> and get a degree. But, I mean, that's the mentality on people, man. Like, And, um, you know, and, and I'm sure, like, now you've been out of it, you have a chance to reflect, where is it, you know, more time to reflect than you've already had. But, shit, if you got a chance to go back in it, you're like, I know exactly how I would do this, down to probably, like, I have a book that would probably label every single day for the next 10 years. And yeah, uh,
3: yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, the the beautiful thing about my job is I get to go around and travel and I get to go spend a whole day with a strength staff and, you know, I've spent a whole day at Baylor and I've spent a whole day at Oregon state. I've spent days at, I mean, all kinds of LSU. And, and I just sit and observe um, just observe staffs and, and, you know, and, and I have so many of these coaches, when the day's done, he's like, hey, you know, will not you come in on my staff meeting when we're done? And I'm thinking, cool, this is just a sit-in. And I didn't know, like, he's bringing me in to, like, rip his assistance, you know? And I'm like, what's going on? You know, so we'll, he'll talk about this, and then he'll go, all right, Aaron, you, what did you see? Tell me what you saw my assistants need to work on. And I'm just going, oh man, he put me on the spot. And he's like, he's really wanting me to like, like, mentor inappropriately touching athletes. is pretty much the biggest one I go with. <laughs> yeah.
0: You are know? like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, like yeah, 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 play touch, but yeah, uh, yeah, play touch, but yeah. I mean, that's an awkward situation. You get, to, you have to go in and like, you're like, man, I'm not here to discipline. I'm here to have a good time and uh, yeah. just observe and watch. I mean, I, you know, I, I got the opportunity to see Kaz and his staff and uh, down at Baylor who have a lot of Sorenix equipment, and um, it was pretty cool. And I sat in on their staff meeting, uh, you know, like, you know, seeing how well he runs it, and more importantly, seeing how nervous all of those guys were about, uh, you know, Kaz, who was fucking my assistant. I mean, I, I called him my personal assistant when I was at the Chiefs, and then to see him as a head guy, and uh, these guys were so He's fucking nervous. Dropping the hammers. Well, yeah, I'm sitting there, and
3: I'm like, really? Him? You? Oh. Yeah, so- Ka- he, Ka- Kaz runs that place. Uh, I was blown away. Uh, probably the most impressed I've been on how he manages the staff and the department Um, it's unbelievable that they call it the pre huddle or the staff huddle before they go coach the group how detailed it is and how it's almost like they're holding hands saying a prayer together like going over the sheet the document before they go coach it the energy in the weight room is you know great Uh, athletes work hard he gives the athletes a lot of ability to become leaders Unless the coach foster the coaches kind of let them foster that. Um, and then the, 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 the follow up meeting and then the the, the weekly staff meeting. Like I got to set in on all that one day and I just walked away going like if I ever coach again. Like I, I don't know about like X's and O's, but I learned about managerial and things that I've never seen before.
0: You know, Kaz made a great point to me. He said, um, you know, uh, I leave the X's and O's and all that stuff up to the assistants. Uh, My job is to really help these, mentor these kids on how to be men. And he's like, you know, uh, the sad realization is a lot of them didn't have fathers. A lot of them didn't grow up the right way. They're only here because they're God-given talents, not anything else they did. And he goes, in a lot of ways, they tried to fuck themselves out of this opportunity, but they were so good they couldn't. Mm -hmm. And he goes, "Uh, uh, I'm not going to fail these kids the way everybody else has failed them. Yeah, well, well, yeah, and he's he's like, uh, I'm not going to fail them, and uh, I, you know, part of my job is to help them, mentor them, into men, so that they can live a productive life. The way, and I mean, dude called it out. He's like, their moms aren't doing it, their dads aren't doing it, society's not doing it. They come here. I'm I'm not letting them slide. And I was like, fuck, man, like, talk about taking social responsibility, and I mean. I knew Kaz as a, a lowly assistant. He was a great dude. I mean, it's the reason we hung with him, and I always, always really liked him. I was super proud when he went. But when I saw that, I was like, dude, you are, you are doing the job that so many people fail to do. Uh, you know, and I, I think I wouldn't be where I am without the different people that mentored me in the strength game. I'm, yeah. I, I always tell these guys the story. When I wanted to lift weights, my dad told me it was uh, stupid. Why do you want to lift weights? This is counting over to or ten over and over again.
1: It was pretty yeah. good program.
0: Yeah. <laughs> just had, yeah but but my dad never lifted weights and he didn't understand and he was like you're never gonna really you know and he's like why you're never really gonna make anything of this. and uh and then it was funny guys i you know was in the nfl i made a joke to him once i i think i actually i made the joke to him right before i hand him a set of keys to a twin turbo porsche <laughs> uh you think that lifting weights thing turned out he's like yep. i was totally fucking wrong on that one and i was <laughs> yeah. like i was like a big man can admit himself, and there you go, there's a nice twin turbo portion. And, uh, but that type of thing, like, you know, what I think we all have really realized, especially is, you know, there's something you learn, you know, banging weights, you learn something about yourself in those dark moments. Now you have an opportunity to go in and, like, instill, uh, you know, your vision and culture and your, you know, ideals in a whole bunch of young people, and then that fosters new things, and you have yeah. just kind of this, it's kind of paying it forward deal. And, um, you know, you, I'm sure you've seen some really great strength coaches like Kaz and, you know, Keith Kent and yeah. those guys, and, You've seen some really other, you know, bad ones, and especially in the coaching game, where you, you know, you're kind of peripherally as a strength coach. Now you're seeing the the football game, which the strength game is so much more. I'm so much better with it than the football stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why we work. You know, people always go, how, "How can you don't coach with uh, football players? How can you don't do something with that?" And I'm like. I don't even want to touch that stuff. Yeah, do something that I know is performance related. That's more pure. I want to make people better based off of training. I was like, yeah. that football game is a a, a, a fucking blender of cesspool that I would never want to get into. And um, you know, that's why I don't do anything with football. Yeah, other than I, I well, actually, I that's just I at the, actually at the level
1: a, at which you played. I mean, I think there's a I purity. Have a, uh,
0: I I didn't tell you guys this, but I, I the NFL has hired me. Well, cool, congratulations to uh, on game day for the Rams. I get to, as Runyon has decreed it, I am in charge of uh, violations on Sunday for the Rams at the Rams games. I'll be down there for uniforms, any type of fuck-ups. So Runyon wants me to go down there and uh, oh yeah, uh, be on the field and uh, uh, be the avenging angel for the uh, NFL, NFL. Cool.
1: Rams. beautiful. And uh, how many assistants, boss, do you have?
0: I have seven. Uh, all right. On the field, Excellent. so don't worry, Aaron. I'll, I'll get you down there. <laughs> I was gonna say. I, like, I told Runyon, I was like, I need a parking pass and I need a couple extra tickets, uh, just passes for for people. So we're gonna be down there. I was gonna say,
1: John. Though don't I mean now that we we're molding cash into this, uh you know, oh. uh, an epic <laughs> man. I wouldn't hang up your your coach's pants quite, yeah, because I'm sure, as Aaron can say, coaching kids, man, is like uh. in their sport. That's fun. That's super you know fun. what? Um,
0: my brother took the same approach you have, and he coaches my nephew's teams. And the reason he coaches is because uh he saw how bad parents are. My brother, both, you know, both my brothers played college football, and like they, like he, yeah. he coaches his baseball thing. And the whole reason he's like, you have to. He goes, "Have you seen any of these other idiots?" He goes, "These guys have no experience. They don't know what coaching is. They don't understand about mentoring. Mm-hmm. They're here yeah. to to relive their own failed childhoods and this." And he goes, "Dude," he goes, "I." I just couldn't handle it. And he goes, yeah. you have an obligation, you know, and it's that kind of, you know, uh, that social obligation for those who can have to, yeah. you know, and it's like, if you can help, you should like that kind of, or you yeah. social responsibility. So the fact that you get to go out there, cause I mean, what would be worse? You sitting there in the stands, and you're like, I'm going to beat this dude's ass out the, out the parking lot. And you're like, Hey coach, I I'm going to suck you in the face. Yeah. That's,
3: that, that was, that, that was, you know, for me, uh, it was kind of neat because I knew by the end of the season when the parents, like when I did the, um, the flag football, which I, I don't know a lot about football as a thrower, but I do know know like, okay, teach a kid to hustle, teach a kid how to you know do things and some blocking schemes, this and that. And we didn't have a great season, but we won a couple games here at the end. and but so many parents were just like, please tell me you're coaching next ball. Because I want my kid, I know we didn't win a lot of games, but I want my kid to be coached under you because, like, I just never seen someone, like, just organize a practice, hold them accountable, hard on them, but also pat them on the back. He's like, just, like, you know, just, there's like, that's what he needs and stuff. And then, uh, you know, the commissioner's emailed me, like, a couple weeks ago. He's like, you're you're coaching this fall, right? I'm like, well, both of my kids have already signed up for uh, select soccer, so I actually will not be coached. He's like, oh, come on, just coach a team, please. And he's like, these parents, coach a team. I'm like, you know what? If I, if my kids were playing, and I could put them on the team, that way I could, you know, kind of put it all together like I did before. It it makes sense. But um, but I told him, I said, not saying I'll never do it again. But this fall, it's just not going to work out, you know. But but I think I think when people, parents, kids, even they see when someone kind of comes into uh, have that presence in front of their kids and how you lead them, how you mentor them, and those things. Again, that's where I said, hey, this philosophy, it's been tested in college. It's been tested against me personally in my career, uh, my family life, uh, whatever I'm doing. And I've tested it, you know, at at the little kid's level and stuff. And those things, those four traits, when doing a good job at you make big differences.
1: Sure. Oh, that's great stuff.
3: Yeah, I got you Uh, yeah, just a one quick question.
4: Yep. I think that we, there's always talk about the change in generation and kids these days,
3: is it a change in kids or a change in coaches that we're facing? You know, <laughs> you're gonna laugh, but I, I dropped my kids off at school this morning at eight o'clock and I actually got them there about five till they got out of the car and I had a couple emails to, to, uh, answer. So instead of driving back home, I really need to hammer them. So I stayed in the parking lot, turned my car off and then answered emails. The next day I look up, and it's about 8.05, 8.06, 8.07. I'm wrapping it up. I'll start my car, and there's still this, these kids getting walked in by their parents. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. School starts at 8 o'clock. You know, like whose fault is, is it that these kids are late to school? You know, who's allowing this to happen? So I think, you know, the question is, I think it's just – I think it's the adults, the coaches and things. Like we talked Like John was saying if you allow kids to be late, they're going to be late. You know, if you put an emphasis, you know, Mickey Marotti used to say, you'll always be good at what you emphasize. If you emphasize being early and being on time, you'll get being early and being on time. But if you tolerate late, if you tolerate, you know, half ass, you'll get half ass. And um, I, I, I think maybe nowadays the, you know, that it's a product of these kids are just, it's just, they're they're being enabled you know through middle school high school college whatever it is by by coaches and i think that's you know i i put that kind of like i said in the 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 pen and paper thing in my profile old school approach i'm that old school strength coach that you know that really you know want to be good at the basics and let's just really be good at that being on time you know working hard squatting you know pressing doing the exercises that aren't as fun and it cool to see like battle ropes and big high plyo jumps and things like that you can make videos for. But the ruggedness of gripping the bar day after day and those things is, is, is kind of my background. So, I, you know, I just think it's, it's, it's definitely a product of, of parenting and there's things like Cause was saying he's got to do that job because it's not been done.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, Aaron, hey, man, I know you got you to gotta run. So thanks for taking the time to chat. Yeah. And uh, besides uh, the pen and paper strength app, is there anything else you want people to check
3: out? Uh, you know I have uh, normal Instagram where basically I, I do most of my training um, down at the yard in Hermosa Beach film a lot of my stuff. I also when I travel around I try to try uh, train with some staffs and and get familiar with other people. I think that's the best way you can really get to know people is lift weights with them you find out a lot about their a lot about them um, yeah for sure so I try to I try to get out and and publicize uh, um, staffs and cultures and strength staffs and do things so this, my uh, first and last name, Aaron Osmus on Instagram is where I do a lot of the, that type of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I try to promote people who I think are doing things out there the right way. And, you know, like, uh, I think I put up Adam Nelson today. He's, he's yeah. going tomorrow night, uh, at the Olympic trials at age 41, I competed against him and, uh, in college he threw for Dartmouth, a long friend of mine. It just blows my mind. He's throwing the shot put tomorrow night at age 41 and has a chance to possibly make the team. So. You know, um, that's something I do with that, that, um, Instagram account. So,
1: yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll definitely link those up on the blog post. So, yes. um, again, Aaron, thanks a lot, man. And yeah. right around the corner, we'll, we'll find some time to cross. Yeah. i want
3: to get down and train with you guys. All right. Beautiful. All right. Bye, right. right. sir. Take, Take care. You. All right. See you Aaron. Thanks, you guys.
2: Now it's time for you to empower your performance get inspired by coach Ausmus head to his Instagram page. That's at pen and paper strength app to see what motivational words he scratched down on a random piece of paper today, or just creep on his lifting videos. And you can do that by going to at Aaron underscore Ausmus until next time. Bye.